0: And um, I'm going to read with you, first of all, from Psalm 50. So open your Bibles to Psalm 50 and read along with me. Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself. Is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. And all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes? Or take my covenant on your lips. For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. These things you've done, and I've been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So far, Psalm 50. And go in your Bibles to um, Romans, Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read from verse 1 through to 8. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through to 8. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let's use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So far the reading. I'm just going to invite Albert to come up and share with us. I'll just pray for you before we start. God, I um, just want to thank you for Albert, and I just want to pray for him as he shares your word this morning. I pray for your peace, your anointing, and your equipping. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through him. And I pray for us as we listen. Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts that we'd be ready to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Doing. Whoops, there we go. This is a pretty scary thing to be doing, to get up like this and to start preaching, because it takes me about... 15 minutes to settle down so that's why it's a really good thing to be able to lead the service from the beginning and then you're ready by the time you get to preaching. So I'm going to have to catch up a little bit so give me a moment Um, and thank you also by the way for uh, allowing me to be here with you this morning. It's God's privilege to me to uh, be here and to share the word with you. As I uh, came in this morning there were a lot of people very busy Uh, Getting things ready, a lot of blokes up the front here practicing, people setting up chairs. Uh, I saw two ladies at that stage at least who were busy working in the kitchen, one was in the kitchen, one was out here doing a few things and it was good, it was good to see that activity. So as I'm with you like this this morning, I expect because of what we've been doing so far this morning that we're here you here are a church. So I'm addressing a church. That's what I'm expecting to be doing here this morning. And I expect that you regard yourselves as a church. Now, that's a very simple, very basic statement to make. But it's absolutely jam-packed with meaning, with significance and I believe that we all of us need to be really sure that we have a common, fully agreed understanding of what it means to say that you hear this body of people and when I say this body of people I'm including all of the people that are not here this morning. You know, those who might be interstate or overseas or just not here because they're angry for some reason. All of the people that make up this body, that you understand what it means in common to be a church. And because you are a reformed church, that you come here... And that you receive gospel ministry. And because you come here, or I should rephrase that, you come here because the Lord Jesus Christ has lifted you out of where you have found yourself to be, in a really bad place, and he set you in a really good place that you bring to bear, as a congregation, as a church, the gospel ministry on every aspect of your life now. That wherever you go, whatever you do, you are a people who are seeking to grow and to change constantly as a people of the Lord Jesus Christ because he has called you out of the world and he's called you to be in him. Now, it's already been made note of in, in the previous part of the service that, and that's been the focus of the songs, I noticed that it was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything was about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, the, 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 inten- the attention, the focus, the, the emphasis was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to keep that going because God raised Jesus Christ up from the grave as the guarantee, the absolute surety that all those who have been received by him, who have committed their life in faith to him, he will take to be with him in glory. And that is an absolutely astonishing thing to say. And I think sometimes we may get to be guilty about saying or treating that as just a normal thing. It's just an everyday occurrence. You see, this is absolutely crazy. And I'm serious. It is really, really crazy. That a holy God would do this for me for you for us for anyone in sin that uh, he would make people sinners his own that is crazy nothing about us is attractive to him nothing about us makes us deserving to him or for him. And yet God desires people for himself. So I expect that when you come here and you get gospel ministry, and I'm pretty serious about this, and I'm sure that your pastors are serious about it, that the, the, the people that are your leaders in that regard that as their holy task are serious about this. That when you receive gospel ministry, you hear about sin and you hear about hell and you hear about judgment. Now, if you think that's bad, if you think that's dark and depressing somehow, then I want to say to you, you do not know what joy is. When you come here and you come under gospel ministry anywhere at all, you hear that you are a damned, God-cursed sinner whose judgment is upon you and you are now bound for darkness and the furnace of hell. And there's no escape. And what makes that dark and terrible message so wonderful is that it's true. We don't make this up. Who would want to do that? This is the word of God to us. This is the message. This is the proclamation of a holy, righteous God, the only God. And if you're sitting here just now thinking, oh, we've got a guest preacher today, he's, he's lost it. He's off his head. The pressure must have got to him. Um, what can possibly be joyful about sin, hell, judgment? And if you say thinking to yourself, I, you came here this morning because you didn't want to get depressed, you wanted to be lifted up a little bit, you came here to feel better about things, uh, and then you get this guest preacher here and he says, there is this really, really bad, dark message for you and it's a joyful one. Well, that's just it. I am saying to you this morning, and and maybe I should change what I'm saying just there. This is not me saying this. This is God saying this. This is the Bible says. This is what the gospel says, is that you and I are in such a hopeless, perilous situation that there is no hope at all, none at all. You had better not ever come into a gospel ministry and expect to somehow be made to feel good about this truth and this reality about yourself because if you do, you will not know the truth and the joy of God's blessing. It's only because we know the truth about ourselves that we're established by God, we're enabled by God to to know Jesus, the one, you know, who grabs your soul and he grabs your life and he grabs your being and he says to you, I've got you. And I have purchased you. I have paid the penalty for your sin. And I have done that what you cannot do. And I have declared you holy and righteous and bound for heaven through what I did. And there is nothing on hev- in heaven. There is nothing on the earth. There is nothing above the earth. There is nothing under the earth. There is nothing anywhere at all in God's creation or beyond God's creation that will ever be able to take you out of that. That's what Jesus says. There is nothing anywhere that can take you out of your, his hands. And this is so sure for you. If you know that without me, says Jesus, and you believe in what I have done for you, and you know who I am, and you repent of what you are, your sin, and you trust in me completely, I'm going to bring you to the Father in heaven and to glory because my glory depends on me completing that great work. The the work that I call the salvation of your soul and your body. Now, what do you call that? Do you call that depressing? Depressing? It's not, is it? It's not depressing at all. That's the gospel. And it is such an incredible privilege to be allowed to to come along and and, and into a place like this and be with you and to proclaim that message. I want to take you into Romans 12 this morning. This is about Christ being formed in us. And there are two particular emphases here in these first two verses. Uh, and I'm going to focus just on verse 1 here this morning. But the first two verses, the first emphasis here is that all of the life, the whole of the Christian life is to be lived in service to God and to His people. All of your life. The other emphasis, and this is the one I want to focus on with you here this morning now, is there has to be this desire in us to become increasingly a church in which everyone is equipped to know how to give the gospel ministry to one another. Now, there's a phrase that's used for this, and it's every member gospel ministry. Every member doesn't just receive it, and, and, but they have to know, you and I, every one of us have to know how to give it and how to serve others with it. There's a verse in Galatians chapter four, verse nineteen, which is it the Apostle Paul again, and and he says, "My little children," he's in in great pain for these people in the Galatian church there, and he says, "My little children, for whom I'm again in anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you." Now the Apostle Paul wrote that letter to the Galatians, and he'd been instrumental under God to, and he'd seen how people, the people that he wrote to, had been born again in Christ Jesus, and he said. I am again in anguish. He's, he's, he was before, but he's once again in anguish of, of childbirth until Christ is formed in these people. And, and, and you know, that, may that be our anguish here, that Christ is formed not only in me or in you, but in you and you and you, right through everyone, every member gospel ministry. Would you look at me with me now at Romans chapter 12? And, and you get this right at, right at the very beginning. Paul wants us to look back across the previous 11 chapters. And you know, if, I, if you would allow me, I would read all chapters 1 to 11 right now. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do it. But, but that's really what we ought to do. Because this is what Paul is doing to us. He's getting us to look right back through the previous eleven chapters. And it starts with this this chapter twelve starts with an amazing word. Therefore, Romans one to eleven are chapters of outstanding gospel Christian truth truth, and it's all about God, and it's all about sin, and it's all about salvation in the Holy Spirit. And and, and Paul says I appeal to you, therefore, he says, if you believe what I'm saying, all of these chapters through, if you believe what I'm saying, if you understand everything that I've told you about the Christian truth, then you're going to live like this. And then he lays it out there in chapter 12. He says, I've told you the truth. Actually, the whole of the rest of this Romans um, chapter 12 on right to the end is all about how we're going to, how he wants us to live the gospel ministry with each other. But especially these verses, Paul says, if you understand the gospel, if you really grasp this, you're going to live like this. And the implications of what Paul teaches us here are so vast, he, he could spend every day on this. Well, actually, he wants us to spend every day on And the pattern and the goal of this world is to live for yourself, isn't it? That's the world we live in. Live for yourself. Do what you think is important. Make yourself happy. Don't think about other people too much. Make sure you are following your path. Set your own goals. Set your life goals, your life path. Charge into it. Live for yourself. But the supreme goal of the Christian life ought to be living for Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the way we are to do that, instead of being conformed, he says in verse 2, Be transformed, not by replacing one set of habits and actions for another, but by having your mind renewed, by changing the way you think, the way you, actually what you believe. So in other words, devote your life as a Christian to being changed. Be transformed. And for the Christian, this is going to be an ongoing, continual, everyday growth in unconforming ourselves from the world. So if you believe the Christian truth if you understand what God is saying to us in the Scriptures, what does that mean for us to live the Christian life? Well, Paul gives us the essence of the Christian life. Then he gives us some aspects of the Christian life. And then finally, he tells us, here's the power for the Christian life. So I've got three things I want to cover now. This morning, the essence, some aspects, and the power of the Christian life. So first of all, the essence. And it's what we've already observed. If you believe everything that I've told you, says Paul, if you understand everything that I've told you, you must be a living sacrifice. That's right there in that verse 1. A sacrifice, by the way, you know what a sacrifice is? It's something you kill. You put it to death. It's a dead thing. Now, Paul comes along here and he says, that we have to make our life a living killing. Doesn't make sense. But that's what he says, that we have to give, what we give to God is to be something that is alive. I read uh, some time ago a piece about museums. People look at me and they say, um, boy, you read some really strange things. Well, yeah, I probably do, but I read about this this thing, uh, thing, spoke about museums. You know, these are places where dead things get stuffed and you put them on display. Or ancient artifacts are put on display. Nobody uses those things anymore, but they put on display for you to go and look at. They just sit there in a cabinet. Well, Paul is telling us that we'd better not be museum pieces in our Christian living. And he's also referring back to the Old Testament where people made blood sacrifices in order to make atonement for their sins because, well, sin needs punishment. And sacrifices were about showing that, well, people actually understood that sin must be punished. So the people back in the Old Testament times, they made these blood sacrifices a way of making atonement and salvation and and getting yourself right with God. Now we come into the New Testament and suddenly all of that's out of order. The New Testament teaches us that, that you don't come into the world now and say, well, I'm going to live for you, Lord, and I'm going to live my life in such a way that, uh, that, that you're going to then forgive me when I'm living in the way that you want me to live and, and you'll accept me and you will then take me into heaven. The New Testament says you don't say that. And you'd better not be saying anything like that at all. Jesus' sacrifice is a sacrifice that ends all guilt offerings and sin offerings of the Old Testament. Everything there was, all of it, looking forward to what Jesus Christ was finally going to do, completely. So this offering that Paul is talking about here is an offering of gratitude and praise. So first of all, when we say that you're a living sacrifice or living a life of a living sacrifice, it doesn't mean that you're atoning for your sin and that somehow by living that way, you're procuring God's favor. It's not saying that. Secondly, Old Testament sacrifices, once they were made, they were done. That was it, finished. When you offered your sacrifice, when you brought your animal, your grain, or whatever it was that you brought, once you offered it, it was over. A living sacrifice, that's never over. You see, the Old Testament sacrifices were no problem. You killed it, and that was it. Then they burned it, and it was over, gone. But a living sacrifice means every day, every hour, every moment, right at this minute, we have to deliberately, consciously, continually, perpetually be offering ourselves to God. So this is constant. This is, it's never, ever over. It is intense. See, there's something in the word sacrifice, killing, that we have to do, and it's this. You're not living the Christian life unless you actually put to death the idea that you have the right to live as you choose. Now, that is incredibly contrary and incredibly radical in the society in which we live. To live a Christian life is that you put to death the right to live life as you choose. You put to death the idea that you belong to yourself. You put to death the idea that you know best of what should happen in your life. You put to death and you give it all to God. And it actually feels like death to do that. But on the other side, there's life. And that's why it's called a living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that leads to life. And so, this is where we do and where we live, and where we say, I no longer decide what is right or what is wrong for me. I'm not going to do that. I will live my life according to God's word. I no longer decide what will happen in my life. I accept and I trust whatever you send me, Lord. I saw a phrase on this which expresses it best. This is where you actually take your hands off your life. Now, would you do that as you drive your car down the freeway at 100 kilometers an hour? Now, the new cars, they run it. They always, I'm told, the experts tell me that they calibrate the speedometers to be 2 kilometers under the 100. So you are driving down the freeway now at 103 kilometers to stay within the law on your speedo. We are taught, isn't it, the driver, instructors, us 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock on the steering wheel. That's where our hands have to be. Two hands on the wheel at all times we don't do that, do we? We drive with one hand mostly, right? So one hand off the wheel's okay. 100 kilometers an hour down the freeway. Are you going to take both hands off the wheel? Crazy. It'd be crazy to do that. And yet that's exactly what God is saying to us. Take your hands off your life. Why would you take your hands off your life? There's one person I read who, who said she took her hands off her life and it was after a long, long, determined, very determined effort to enter into overseas mission work for God. And at the very end of years of dedicated preparation and studies, she was totally blocked. And in a great struggle, she came to see that it had all been her determination Not God's. And what she eventually decided, she needed to take her hands off off her life, and she describes it this way. She said she took her hands off her life because she knew he, and she said God was infinitely wise, infinitely loving, because he is infinitely wise. I will do everything that the Bible tells me, even if I don't like it. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, that's not possible because there are things in the Bible. Like, Look, I trust the Bible. And you may say to yourself, you believe the Bible, you trust the Bible, you absolutely follow it. But I don't like this little bit there. And I don't like this other bit over here in the Bible. You're on the throne of your life and you are picking and choosing. You still belong to yourself. You're not a living sacrifice. To quote someone else, they said, the uh, start of the quote is, you are not assuming he's infinitely wiser than you, which of course is just stupid. Close quote. Sometimes, more times than is comfortable, we have to go through things that just don't make sense. Because, but we say, because God is infinitely wise, infinitely loving, we realize we have to go and do everything he says, whether we like it or not, and we have to accept everything that he sends us and trust him whether it makes sense to us or not. Too often it seems to me that people say to God, I'll obey you, I will, Serious, I will obey you if you do this for me. And maybe this other thing as well. If you give me this life that I'm after, Lord, I'll obey you. I will. And what we're doing, and we say that sort of thing, is we're sacrificing whatever is on the other side of the if. And whatever that is, it's not God. Would you have a look at the last few words words there in in verse 1 here, Romans 12 verse 1. Your spiritual worship, the word worship means service. So one of the ways you, you can actually translate the word spiritual is with the word true. So what this is really saying is give yourself, sacrifice yourself, lay yourself out before God, put yourself in service to him and make him the thing that you live for, be a sacrifice for him. What are you currently living for? Everybody lives for something. Everybody. There's not a single person in the world who's not living for something. Whatever that thing is that you're living for, you are sacrificing for it. You're in service to it. I, I've met people, not a lot of people, who do that for their career. Their career is everything. They sacrifice their time. They will sacrifice their wife. They will sacrifice their children for their career. You say, well, for what? People do it everywhere. You may be doing it. Other people sacrifice themselves completely for, well, the love of their wife or their husband or their children or their grandchildren. And for other people, it's, well, they just got to have the best house or the best garden or or have this great hobby that they're really committed to. But whatever it is, we are all serving something. And yet only God is infinitely wise and infinitely loving and everything else will take you and destroy you or that thing that you love. All those things are going to let you down. They will destroy you and those around you. So... Paul comes to us, the Apostle Paul, God comes to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, make your life a living sacrifice, a service to truth to God. Now, there are three features, three parts or three aspects to this idea of a living sacrifice. That's our second main point this morning. Being a living sacrifice affects your life in three different ways. At least three different ways. First of all, it affects all of your life. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, this is not just a spiritual sacrifice. Christianity isn't just about the soul, it's, or just about the body either, by the way. This is a whole person thing. Your body is how your soul acts in the world. Your soul can't do anything. Your thoughts can do nothing. Your feelings can do nothing except through your body. So what this is saying here is that God wants our bodies. He wants every single part of our life, our private and our public, our individual, our social, our inner and our outer parts. Paul tells us we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds and what he means by that is that is to be a living sacrifice is for you to think out all of the implications of Romans chapter 1 all the way through to Romans chapter 11 that's the gospel for every single area of life and if you're not doing that you are not making your external life a living sacrifice The second feature of a living sacrifice affects the inner self. Verse 3, have a look at verse 3. It says, For by the grace given me I say to everyone among you not to think more of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment and each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And he's saying that if you understand the gospel, you're not going to think more highly of of yourself than you ought to. If you really understand the gospel, you'll have this sober grasp of yourself. And that word sober means accurate. Accurate you'll have an accurate understanding of yourself. The gospel says you're a sinner. The gospel says you deserve to be lost and to go to hell. But you are completely loved by God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And therefore, you're going to heaven. Now that humbles you down to the ground. But at the same time, it lifts you up. You're humbled to the ground so that you don't have too high a view of yourself. And it lifts you up so that you understand that He loved you and He gave Himself for you. The third feature we're told about here is that if you begin to make this decision and you become a living sacrifice and you work this out into every area of your life, you're going to become a servant. Not a leader, not a a boss, not a a power figure. You're going to become a servant. And we haven't gone into the verses that follow, but the rest of this chapter talks about various gifts. It mentions things like preaching and administration, counselling and mercy and caring for the poor and leading. Those are all things that people do to minister in a church, to serve in a church. I want to make two very, very quick comments here. First of all, every Christian has got gifts to serve. Every Christian has. And secondly, every Christian has got different gifts. Now, this means that there's no such thing as a passive Christian. There's no such thing as coming to church just in order to recharge your batteries and then go on again. It doesn't exist. When you come into the church, you ought to be saying, and that's why I love to see all these people, but I know there are a lot of other people in the church here than just the people who are doing the stuff before the service this morning. But when you come into the church, you ought to be saying, how can I serve? What can I do? How can I do these things? We should come to serve, not to be served. This is our Lord did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what that means is we not only come to get gospel ministry, we have to learn how to give it out as well. And also notice everybody's gift is different. Everybody's got different gifts. We're like a body, says Paul elsewhere. You know, the finger is not a foot. That's pretty obvious. Uh, the, the, the eye is not in a ear. That's also really obvious. And so on. he goes, he, does, he says that sort of thing. We're really silly types of examples, but he's making a point. We're a body with all these different parts and components, which means that every single Christian is unique. And you've got certain experience, you've got certain gifts, certain abilities. Every one of you has. And if you're a Christian and you have those gifts, that means that there are some people out there that only you, can touch and if you come and you don't serve you're resisting the will of the Holy Spirit because the will of the Holy Spirit for your life has to do with the gifts and using them in service if your inner life has been changed your understanding of yourself has been changed and all of your life has been changed because you've made yourself a living sacrifice. You won't simply be a person who comes passively and receives ministry and just keeps on receiving it. You'll be saying "This t- in this church, show me what I can do. Show me. One final main point, the power behind all this. What drives Christians to be different to the rest of the world? Now, our standard answer to a question like that is, well, God's the power. God's the power. We can only do what we do through him and the strength that he gives us. We can only serve with the power that he gives. Absolutely true answer. But Christians are not the only people out in the world being honest and caring for the poor and keeping their promises. There are other people who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. They're doing the same things. So what makes Christians different in that respect? What makes us different is our motive. If you don't believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, why live a good life? Why would you bother? You know, for some people, it's, they do that and they live a good life because that's just the way they were brought up. For others, well, it's just a sensible thing to do. Makes more life more pleasant for everybody. If everybody just cares a little bit for other people or, and the people around them, and then for others again, well, they do it because well, if, they, if they don't do it, they believe God's going to get them. What Christians have is an inner joy and an inner love that Pulls them from the inside. We don't have this external force of fear or or compulsion or or pragmatism driving us on. We don't have that. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. and, And he could have made that a command. He could have commanded us, do this. But he says, I appeal to you. And what he's asking for is something that we're obligated to, but he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. And he says, look at God's mercies. Just, just look at them, observe them, think about them, study them, have, work them through in your heart. You know, if you've got a to-do list on your, on your phone, put in there an item uh, as a, a list on your uh, to-do list, gratitude. Make a list of gratitude on your, on your phone. And then start putting things down on your, on your list, things that you're grateful for in your life. Because every time you look at your to-do list, there it is, gratitude. You know what you've got to pray for. It's a really good thing to do. But here is God saying, look at the mercies. Think about the mercies of God. And then when you've done that, you will be, and as you're doing this, you will present yourself. You will do this voluntarily. You look at the mercies of God and you examine why God sent His Son into the world. You examine why Jesus Christ voluntarily gave himself to do this. Why he gave himself not as a living sacrifice, but as a destroyed sacrifice. And you ask yourself, why did he do that? Why did he take his hands off his life? And you see, God opens our eyes and he opens our heart and you see it, It was all out of love for you. Now he says, take your hands off your life for him and become this living sacrifice for him. And we can do this. We can do this. Because the cross tells us that he is infinitely wise. The Lord Jesus Christ is infinitely wise, infinitely loving. He is infinitely good. That's how we know we can trust him. He took his hands off his life for you. Now take your hands off your life for him. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Take your hands off your life. It's the only reasonable, it's the only acceptable thing to do. And how can you come to grips with someone who gave himself utterly for you without actually giving yourself utterly for him? He took his hands off his life and he fell into nothingness. You take your hands off your life and you just fall into his. He's the only master who will not actually consume you. He's the only altar that will give you life and not kill you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God in Christ Jesus, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessedness and the privilege and the joy and the gift that we have to be able to open your word together. And we thank you, Father, for the the blessing of your spirit. Grant now that we may take this word, that we may search out the mercies of God in Christ Jesus, that we may see the incredible, Astonishing, God-glorifying blessedness of salvation from sin and death and hell. And that we then are moved and compelled to give our lives to you each day, each moment.